episode 126 for January 2011. The Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast is sponsored by MailOrderComics.com. They want to be your local comic shop online. And they have discounts that start at 38 and they go up to 75% off the cover price of new comics and trade paperbacks. A spider example this month is Ultimate Spider-Man number 155. This one continues the death of Spider-Man storyline. The description says that Peter Parker has gathered his most eclectic group of friends and family in the world. And in this very special issue, we will discover some shocking secrets that will either pull them closer together or push them apart forever. The cover price is $3.99. Mail order has it for just $2.47, which is 38% off the cover price. So check them out at mailordercomics.com. All right, we're moving on to, we have one book to review this month. In all the years of the podcast, I don't think we've ever reviewed one book. Do you guys remember? Well, think back to one more day. I'm sure we did. Man, I just can't get over it. There's been a lot of delays, evidently. So, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 650, written by Dan Slott, uh, penciled by Humberto Ramos. Uh, pro and con and grade. Stella, we haven't heard from you. What do you think of this one? Okay, um, so I was a little confused, um, at, as, basically I hadn't read the other two because my comics just never came last month, so I am without an entire month's comics. Oh. So I was just hopping into this, not really knowing what was going on, so I thought, oh, okay, hobgoblin. Well, let's see, my pro, bringing in turn off the dark lyrics, I just <laughs> thought it was cute, uh, <laughs> You know, people may have thought that was dumb or may not have recognized that at all, but I thought it was good. Um, I do like Peter's new job. I think it's a good fit for him. I don't really know how it came about, but just knowing that he's there working with science, I think that's good. Um, And finally, the scene uh, between Peter, MJ, and Carly, and uh, Peter and Carly were talking about something, and MJ just sort of filled in these blanks. You know, they said something that kind of flew over MJ's head. I, I just thought that was clever. Con-wise, the first scene with Felicia. In the bath? In the bath? The heck, yeah. Okay, not... <laughs> what? Cats licked themselves. That, that innuendo. But then just, yeah, just that, that panel. I was like, oh, great. What am I dealing with here? Um, and then just uh, Mary Jane uh, seemed to be written rather dumbly. I mean, she was making all these slips, like, oh, but that was the only reason we were living in the Avengers Tower. Uh, yeah, it, it just seemed, like, really bad. Um, so I, I'd give it a B, I think. Okay. Uh, let's see. JR, what do you think of this one? You like Milk well, Baz? Well, uh, personally, I've never had one. Uh, I'll have to uh, I have to go on with some. I'll have to go on what someone else says, whether or not they're good for the skin or whatever. Uh, base, I, I was, I kind of enjoyed this issue as far as the main plot, as far as the Hobgoblin plot, because I really like the fact that we're seeing some of Phil's uh, inner monologue. Uh, you know, he think, you know, like when he presents a video to Norma and, or Norma, uh, Nora, and uh, you know, she she uh, uses it, and, or, or she likes it, but then she jumps into Randy Robertson's arms and Phil's thinking, all right, that's the last one you get for free. I, I, I like hearing what he's thinking. I like hearing, you know, uh, kind of the workings uh, that are going on. Uh, I liked the new costume, to be honest. I mean, I know people, you know, they call it the spider lantern or whatever, but yeah. to, I guess it's the idea. To me, somebody like Peter Parker would come up with different costumes, different tactics for fighting particular villains. He's too smart not to. Um, 
And even though he has no, or has typically has had no money, he's always had friends, you know, in the Fantastic Four. And, you know, it, it's like I go back to the time uh, where he did a, he, he came up with a rubber suit to fight Electro. And then, like, after Electro's beat, the next issue, he says, oh, well, I don't need this anymore. And he throws it away. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, so I like that. Um, so I, I was going to give this, uh, this thing a B, but there's a lot of stuff that I just don't like. For one, Spider-Man... Spidey's worried that uh, Max Modell is going to uh, figure who, that, who, his secret identity out. What happened to the psychic blind spot? You know, Peter mm. was afraid Carly was going to figure it out. Yeah. You know, and Slot was the one who gave us the psychic blind, blind spot. He's the one who made the first reference to it when Norman, you know, made this idiotic assumption about, you know, Peter taking Spider-Man's picture. And so, and then he did a story where it was a focal point, uh, the Spider-Man Fantastic Four cross uh, team up. So now all of a sudden, you know, where's the psychic blind spot? Um, I did, I did not like the MJ Carly conversation. I didn't under, I didn't understand what the point was. You know, MJ doesn't understand this. To make her look dumb. Exactly. Bottom line. Yeah, and. So I didn't like that conversation at all. Uh, and then the, the sexualization, uh, you know, Felicia, not only the milk bath, but holy crap. I mean, the, the <laughs> boobs on the ground and the butt in the air. Boobs on the ground? Boobs on the ground? It's like it's like she fell over. You know, I mean, it's like you would you would do if they were that big. Exactly, they they were just too heavy, and she fell over. And you know, it's funny. It it wasn't that long ago that that, that this was it. Darren Cook, Darwin Cook, or whatever, said that comics were were catering to the perversions of forty five year old men. Well, there it is. So I, I just I, I had to drop this. I had to drop this to a C. Yeah, but but Jr., you're a forty five year old man. Or thereabouts. Does does that appeal to you at all? Does, does that does that no. hit on your perversion? No, no. I mean, <laughs> they, they have no idea. Uh, well, and I loved it. No, I'm just kidding. But they're not writing for middle-aged men, so I guess they. Uh, I don't know. They're middle-aged I, men. I, 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 I am not. I am not. Yeah, I got you. C. C. Uh, George, what do you think, sir? Um. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about that uh, about the MJ Carly. Uh, conversation for a minute. I, I and I'm going to defend Dan Slott and say that this is not meant to make NJ look stupid. Um, what it is meant to do is it is meant to show that Peter and NJ can't relate to one another, and it's meant to show that they that they exist in two completely different worlds and that they can't communicate because what he's saying or the things that he's going to talk about aren't the things that she's going to understand and vice versa. That's why they slipped in the. The, the bit about her where she's talking about modeling and fashion or whatever, and that, and it's stuff that they don't know about. And it's more, oh, hey, look, isn't Carly perfect for Peter? Isn't Carly perfect for Peter because she can talk to Peter? Um, so it's more – this is more of the forced editorial mandate, and it's – you know, it's, it's shoehorning things. It's like – let's think about it. In the last 20 years, you know – actually, let's go even further back. Ever since MJ's been around, have the two had a problem communicating or understanding one another? I mean – they may they may not come out and say things directly, but they eventually get to the point. They've never had you know it, it's 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 artificial. It's it's trying to create an artificial problem between the two. Like oh, this is why they never worked, and this is why Peter and Carly works well. Oh, by the way, have you heard Carly's perfect for Peter? Um, <laughs> and and here's another point I want to make about Carly. Since she's such a psycho bitch, which we've had proven over the last couple of issues, and actually before that, I mean, going back to the party when she flipped out back then, uh, how come she doesn't get pissed off whenever MJ shows up? Yeah. 
Especially knowing jealous that Peter or something. and MJ live together forever. Because, right, I mean, think about how she was in the, in the, in the comic book shop. Does this seem like – does that kind of character seem like to you someone who's going to be okay for a long time, ex-girlfriend to be coming around? Yeah. Okay, so she's not re- she's not re- real, uh, written realistically on that front. Um, the Hobgoblin stuff, give me a break with the laughing Joker ripoff crap already. Seriously, <laughs> Dan Slott, you are trying too hard. Mm-hmm. And and somebody had had met, mentioned those exact words on the message board, and I had been thinking them already. Everything in this thing is a damn joke. Everyone. There's very few straight men in here. Spidey works best when Spidey gets the laughs, not when he's fighting everybody else in his book for the for the giggles. Mm. Everything in this book is now a parody. It's a joke. He defeats, or at one point, the Hobgoblin was defeated with Lady Gaga. Seriously, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> You know, and, and it, this is ridiculous. I, it's, you know, and, and I was hoping, at least, you know, and I knew I wouldn't like the direction either way. You know, once uh, once they went to one writer instead of two, because it's still brand new verse. All this is still for me, you know, alternate reality crap, basically. But I figured at least with one writer, they could have a more unified voice. Well, this this, this one unified voice is a freaking sitcom. Spider Man's not a sitcom; it's a dramedy. And mm-hmm. it, to me, the, I, I read this and I'm like, did you ever understand this book and the history of this book and why people like this book to begin with? This this one gets a – I like the artwork. I like the artwork. This one gets a D for do better. Okay. Uh, Kev. Uh, I actually, once again, enjoyed the issue. Um, By the way, we have to tell the setup. Yeah. How, how, how you got this issue. You, you read it like literally 20 minutes ago because yeah. – I. I so uh, I, I moved last Saturday is, is yeah. where this all comes from. I moved back to my dad's house, and I changed my address with Mailer Comics too late, so my box went to the apartment, and my neighbor was nice enough to pick it up, but I haven't been able to get it from her yet. And when I woke up this morning about two hours before we started recording, I realized, holy God, holy God, <laughs> I have to review a comic that's in that damn box. Um, and I couldn't get it from her today. She's out. So I went around to comic shop to comic shop to comic shop, Finally, I went to the Zone Comics, uh, and thank you very much to them here in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and the owner there, Daniel Thompson, uh, was nice enough, because there wasn't any on the rack. Uh, there wasn't any in the, any in the back issue bin. He was nice enough to look through his hold box uh, and found somebody that hadn't picked up their holds in, like, months and just sold me their copy, because obviously they weren't too concerned about it. Right. Um, so a huge, huge thanks to Daniel Thompson of the Zone Comics. Cool. Otherwise, you'd just be hearing crickets from me right now. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, I was uh, reading this issue while having technical Skype problems earlier. So. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I really did enjoy it. Um, I think, you know, George mentioned the Lady Gaga thing, which I thought was freaking hysterical, honestly. The Spidey's line, did I just get saved by Lady Gaga? No offense, <laughs> but can I have the nausea-inducing nausea laughter back? That... <laughs> That made me laugh out loud. Um, so yeah, it was it was a good issue. I had some problems with it, like uh, the psychic blind spot thing. Just seems like a, a glaring gaff, uh, especially as was said from the guy that introduced that. And I do feel like uh, the hobgoblin dialogue is a bit too much. I mean, I'm okay with the characterization in general, but it, it seems a little bit too much, a little too over the top right now. It's it's almost to the level of like Superboy Prime, who uh, has reasons to be that way. Um, but but overall, yeah, I enjoyed it, and I would give this one a solid B. Cool, Mr. Bailey. 
I've really enjoyed Big Time overall, uh, especially compared to most of the storylines that we had to read during Brand New Day, even yeah. though this is still Brand New Day. Uh, I, I kind of feel that if this is what we were we had been given like right at the end of 2007 when Brand New Day started, instead of this whole Peter's Peter's life sucks, he's got to get with every girl, sex with the mask on type of stuff. Uh, this feels a little more like a modern take on classic Spider-Man. So overall, I'm enjoying the story. I liked the costume because it fit with the whole Tron thing that was going on. And I thought it was kind of cool that they actually kind of played into that uh, with all the Tron covers and stuff. That Was that 248 or 249 where they did that? Uh, 649, I think. Six, oh, 248 or 249. God, I'm a couple decades off. This is where DeFalco um, wrote, you know, with the Hot Leveling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right before Secret Wars, yeah. Um. So on that level, I liked it. I like that Peter is having a better time of it, like his life doesn't completely suck. And uh, because I wasn't on last month, I, I couldn't say this. The Aunt May scene in 649, where she had the little flashback of remembering, you know, of him saying, I'm going to quit my job. And she's like, no, you're going to be a scientist. That actually almost made me choke up a little. Because it was like, oh, good, Aunt May's being a mother figure and not a complete heinous female dog. Um, (laughs) The only cons I had with it, because I kind of like the new Hobgoblin, insane laugh and dialogue aside, I like the concept that Phil Urich has just gone freaking bonkers. Uh, The only cons I would have is that that scene with Mary Jane. If they would just keep Mary Jane out of this book completely, I think everyone would have an easier time of it, you know? Like, if they just kind of focused on Carly and his new life and didn't keep bringing her in to remind us that Mary Jane is there, because if she's not with Peter, what is her place in this book? Yeah. What is her place in the Spider-Universe? They've tried because, to figure out a bush before, and it hadn't really worked. It's not not working keeping her lingering around. Yeah, that, not, that's not the way they're point. using her now. No, yeah, not the I way mean, they're it, using it, her, but... But that whole scene where she wasn't getting, it's just like, oh, let's be insulting to Mary Jane and make her look like a complete moron. You know, oh, look at how much they have in common. Like George was kind of saying, look how much they have in common and, and look how much Mary Jane's just kind of on the outside looking in and had to prove that she's smart because she knows who a celebrity is, which is so much better than knowing, you know, scientific principles to me. <laughs> but then again, we live in the, you know, TMZ generation. So I'm going to give this book a solid B, uh, and I'm going to give Big Time overall a solid B as well. I like this new Hobgoblin, and here's the big surprise. Wow, I actually kind of like Ramos's art. Yeah. Because when I heard he was taking over, I'm like, why is the C-list artist taking the A-list book? But his art is now up to what Amazing Spider-Man should be. What do you think looks, of the – It looks of, more like Campbell stuff now, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it's, it's like yeah. Ramos and Campbell had a kid, and this is the result. What do you think yeah. of the milk bath? Uh, completely out of place. Uh, just like the whole, uh, in the, in the previous issue, Nora commenting that she liked 
being with Randy because of a certain part of his anatomy being large. It's just, it's like when they do that, it's like that classic Spider-Man feel. It's like you hear the record scratching, uh, the needle scratching off the record. It's like everything's trucking along fine, and then, oh, damn it. It's like the milk bath. It's like, oh, okay, so we're still in Brand New Day because everything has to be about sex. But uh, Thank you. In, in defense of Felicia, part of, <laughs> part of her character is about sex. It's a big part of her character. No, but, no, 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 I'm reading a lot of the class, you know, like the, the, the 1984, 85 era Spider-Man books. Yes. And her thing yes. wasn't about sex at all. It was about how their relationship would never work. And she's flirty and is about sex, in my opinion. Yeah, but there's being flirty and about sex and showing a woman with big tits in a milk bath. <laughs> <laughs> Which is about as subtle as a need of the groin. But she, <laughs> but she's a cat, and the milk makes perfect sense. I've I've never had a milk. Brad, are you kidding? No, honestly, I didn't. Have a, I didn't have a problem with the milk bath. Okay, because she's a freaking fine. cat. <laughs> Brad wanted to throw some Muppets in there and have it get really freaky. <laughs> some Muppet baby sex. Oh no. The thing is, they're they're overplaying her sexuality, and it, and it kind of bugs me. And and you know, they still got a rated A on this book. I mean, you look at some of the poses Felicia's in on here, on all fours on the rooftop with her with her boobs, you know, falling out of her top all over the top of the roof. I mean, she's there's two panels where she's like ass up in the air, you know, all down. I mean, it's listen to you. I mean, you're like, eh. and she had exactly <laughs> put it in there, right? that's exactly why they put it in there, but but. I, Again, I look at this and I'm like, this is, they think the ten-year-olds are cool with this, or, or yeah, apparently that this is, they're this actually writing comics for the perversions of thirty-five-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, they right, are. You know, um, <laughs> you know, that, Go ahead, Jerry. No, I was about to say, you know, I mean, I agree with you, Brad, that Felicia is flirty and sexy, and probably is, probably is, you know, a horn dog, but. Yeah. You know, there's a way to do that in a story that you don't have to, I mean, have to visualize it. I mean, it, it seems like it's being done to titillate the creators. I mean, they get off on this stuff, so they, I mean, so they put it in. It's not like a natural thing you see with the character. I mean, it's, you just don't, you know, I, I don't know if I'm, I, I'm coming across. I, I'll, go even, I'll go even further. I'm going to go even further than that. Hang on, Brad. A great writer knows that what really that what really titillates and what really excites people is the stuff that you don't even see. It's the stuff that you're left completely up to your own imagination and what happens in your own head. This isn't it. I mean, when they when they have to go to this length, oh, look, she's got massive boobs and she's in a milk bath. Oh, hey, look, if that cat drinks enough milk, you might see some nipple. Oh, hey, look, she's got giant boobs. Oh, hey, look, she's on all fours, ass up in the air. I mean, here's, a, here's an example of that. Early... early uh, all new, all different X-Men, Storm goes out onto the pool and starts bathing nude. Mm-hmm. And everyone's all shocked, and Wolverine's looking on like, hell yeah. You know, <laughs> there is a difference between having her come out and you know she's nude, but the, but only because it's, it's pretty apparent from every, everybody's reaction. And then, or having panel after panel or even like even one or two panels where, you know, it looks like they're floating up onto the top or her ass is, cra- you know, peeking out of the pool. You know, I mean. Well, no, and JL, you'll you remember this. I know for sure. And Brad, probably you will too. Remember back in, and I don't know, I don't know which writer it was that did this, but remember like the, back when Peter and MJ were dating and Peter had his own place. And then there's that one time where they started fighting and then 
they like closed the door and the door locked and you just knew what happened. I mean, the narration was like, and then you know they do what young people in love do or whatever. Mm. I mean, I mean, think about that. I mean, you see that kind of scene, and already in your head you're like, oh, I wonder what they did. Did they make soup or did they make you know? Were they trying to make cakes? <laughs> You know, did they did they watch the Super Bowl or did they go down on each other? And, <laughs> but, you know, stuff like that. But I mean, what did what what did you need to say? I mean, uh, so a good writer will set it up that way. Uh, pardon me, a great writer sets it up that way. A good or marginal writer actually shows you MJ taking her top off, <laughs> well, from behind or getting ready getting ready to go down on somebody. You know, it, it's, Carlin undid her top when he was uh, taking pictures of her like two ninety eight, etc. And that was that was that was bad writing. Oh, okay, and I mean. The, you look at that entire Michelini run, all they did was make an MJ a sex toy. <laughs> all right. Man, I'm serious. Let me give my grade. I haven't given my two cents. So I'm giving it a B also, and I'm with you guys about the artwork. I am just amazed that it's it's unlike the Humberto Ramos that we remember from the Paul Jenkins run. Uh, pro uh, is the artwork. Also, I thought the line where he was almost busted in the in the in his laboratory where he just took off his clothes and how he's – Going to uh, get his best ideas in the nude. I thought that was really kind of funny. I laughed pretty hard with that one. Um, Khan is the MJ making her look stupid. I mean, I'm not really hitting any new points that you guys haven't hit up. I mean, I, as an MJ fan, I was just offended uh, that they make her look so stupid when she's not. She's been with this character for years. I think she understands some basic <laughs> Peter talk. And, and, etc. Uh, I don't mind the milk bath. We've gone over this ad nauseum. She's a cat. She's sexy. Of course she's gonna be in a damn milk bath. But, uh. But you've got to be being sarcastic <laughs> right now, dude. Seriously. No, he's not. He's not. He's totally not. If you've he's listened a, to him talk about Muppets, you know he's passionate about this kind of thing. <laughs> she's a cat. I just understand. I think it's great. However, with their ass in the air and the boobs hanging out, that should bump the, the, the grade down just a little bit. From an all ages book. Uh, but we're all adults reading this stuff, etc. Uh, creativity, the scientific, I am putting his scientific knowledge finally to the test, creating something that he can use. I don't know how he's gonna present this to the big science guy. Oh look, I have a suit that you can see, can't have to see through with glasses, but I don't know. Uh, I found that whole explanation a bit confusing personally. What what the uh, so, so he just created an invisibility suit? He can do that right off the top of his head? Yeah, he had he did it naked in a in a milk bath. Yeah, and <laughs> did you notice though too that the costume inside uh inside the book was green, but the one on the cover was orange like the Tron variant? Oh, I didn't notice that. No, I did not. Yeah, there is a difference between the two. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'll be. Also also it's like there's going to be a running gag now, and it's going to be a really stupid one. Of any time he goes in a tricor, people referencing him being naked or needing to work naked. He, he may actually try have to like get down in his boxers to work naked again because that's funny, and it's going he, to be funny over and over again. I thought it was I, uh, the first time, not the second time, but I have a I have a somewhat serious question, and I don't uh, and I forget if you guys brought this up <clears> last <throat> issue, but when when uh, his boss, whose name escapes me now, the the guy with the red hair and the beard. Max Modell. Uh, Max Modell. The guy from, from Tricorp? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, at one point, he makes a comment to Peter about how we're honest here, and if you ever do anything dishonest or if we find you're doing something contrary to the company's beliefs, then that's the problem. Does anybody else besides me feel like 
that that's the setup for Peter getting fired from this job, that something's going to come up with him being Spider-Man or him helping Spider-Man or, or, or just something like that, and that's what's going to be what costs him the job. That, that's exactly what I thought when the first comment was, you can do, basically what, you can do anything you want except uh, keep it secret or do something. Yeah, something like that. You kept yeah. the secret from us, Peter, Ex- exactly. you're fired. I, Exactly. Yeah. I, I thought that was, and and honestly, when that happens, I, that's going to be aggravating because uh, yeah. that's just, just cliche time again. But uh, yeah, same thing, Mister Bailey. Yeah, but okay. but Jr. Hmm? People read it who haven't read it, you know, who are ten right now. I've never seen that cliche before, so it's okay. That's what cliche ah. would tell you. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually curious if they're setting something up with something going on with Horizon Labs because the line really struck me. Uh, when what's-his-name said, you know, we don't make weapons or any of that kind of thing here, and Peter mentally said, okay, that's one more off the list to take my mind off of this too-good-to-be-true job. And that that just kind of seems so out there. I was wondering if it was allusion to their setting something up with Horizon, maybe with this mysterious guy that works there that we haven't seen yet. Maybe and- their technology developed the, the uh, plus-five uh, fire sword that uh, that uh, D.B. was <laughs> using. Does anybody have any opinions about the backup story that we paid an extra buck for? I liked it. You liked I it? I did, too. I honestly, I thought the art was good, and it was, the reveal was good, and I, I like the fact that now it's like, well, is Smythe going to be the new Venom? Mm. No, I, no. I, think, I think he's just going to be regular, you know, Spidey, Megatron-looking Spider Slayer. I liked that suit, though. I did too. I thought that looked really badass. Cool yeah, the art was really good in this backup. Smythe is going to be the one to put Gargan back in the Scorpion costume. That's that's what Smythe's function is. is and to, that uh, is fine because I, I, you know, a new Scorpion would be awesome. Have we seen Smythe since the '90s cartoon? Putting putting Gargan back in the Scorpion suit isn't the new isn't a new scor- new a uh, new Venom. Or, 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 or pardon me, a new, a new scorpion. It's the original scorpion. Pardon me. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I much prefer to, you know, <clears throat> yeah, dark and venom. Yeah, right. I, I think everybody does. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to this month in spider history with Jr. We're going back to January 1990, 21 years ago. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 328 came out. It has one of my favorite covers of all time with Spider-Man hitting Hulk in a junk. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, and it, the caption says, now who's the strongest one there is? It's, uh, yes, he's down on his <laughs> knees singing soprano. <laughs> he is. La la la. The story is called Shaw's Gambit, written by David McAliney and Todd McFarlane art, Todd McFarlane inking. JR, what'd you think of this one? Uh, well, you know, this was, this was, this was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, uh, let me, let me set up the, the, it's funny that, that you brought this up as a choice of, uh, uh, to, to look at because I think Marvel is releasing the Acts of Vengeance yep. in two massive <laughs> omnibuses. I guess Which one is, is awesome. Some, a 750, <laughs> 750 pages a piece. I mean, man, that'll break your toe if you drop it on your foot. Oh. Uh, so, wow. but, but Acts of Vengeance basically was a, 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 a good idea. I mean, basically a lot of supervillains, Kingpin, Doctor Doom, Magneto, get together and say, you know what? Our old villains keep kicking our butts. So why don't we all fight everybody else's villains? Yep. Uh, I'm sorry. The, the, mm-hmm. Our old superhero 
keep kicking our butts. Why don't we switch superheroes so they won't? So we'll surprise them because they won't know how to fight us if if you know. Because if I remember correctly, John Byrne thought of this idea, didn't he? I, I don't know. It was an uh, Avengers event that mm-hmm. spread out into the rest yeah. of the Marvel universe. Uh, but but it was a good idea, and mm-hmm. you know I liked it. Uh, also, as a little background here, this was Todd McFarlane's last issue as the artist. Yep. On Spider-Man. So, uh, but and, and also another thing that's going on here is Spider-Man during a, in a lab accident at ESU when the scientist he was working with tried to tap some extra-dimensional power source. Uh, Spider-Man now has, although he doesn't know it quite yet, uh, he has the Captain Universe power now. And he can fly, he can shoot I-beams, he can yep. alter the molecular structure of everything. And it's, 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 it's fun. I mean, it, it really was fun to see Spider-Man fly. And yep. there's, there's a cute little scene between two boys who, oh, by the way, are named Stan and Steve, uh, <laughs> where, where Spider-Man flies off and one boy says, if he's gonna pull stunts like that, he'd better start wearing a cape. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was cute. So I, you know, and, and, and it, plus he fights the Hulk and knocks him around a little bit, and uh, it was, you know, is, is it is it a, is it great? You know, well, no, but but it was it was fun. It was it was yeah. it was. Uh, there's a couple of good ideas going on here, and it was fun to read. Right. Can I ask a quick question about this issue? Isn't this the issue where the Hulk thinks that he's in orbit and that it's that he's about yeah. to die because the sun's going to come up? Yeah, he right. punch, right. punches it, him into orbit. I, lo- I loved that line. Yep, love it. Uh, also that came out this month was Spectacular Spider-Man number 160. Title, this one's called The Fear and the Fury, written by Jerry Conway, art on Sal Buscema. Spider-Man is standing over a defeated rhino. Uh, looks like Hydra-Man, the Shocker, Doctor Doom, and there is a big robot coming after him. What do you think of this one? Another Acts of Vengeance crossover. Yeah. The uh, the other uh, the other choices this month are not near as good as Amazing Spider-Man. Um, in this one, uh, Doctor Doom uh finds uh, an an old robot that was i guess the government uh, buried him in at the bottom of New York Bay it was a uh, super robot designed to go after super soldiers uh and when i guess when they created the Captain America in World War 2 they asked well what if they turn the super soldiers turn on us so we ought to come up with a super soldier uh killer i guess kind of a, a pre x-men sentinel type mm-hmm. uh, and that's the story uh there really isn't it's very ordinary. Uh, it's really not that good. There, there's there's a, there's a line in there where everybody turns on Spider-Man again, you know, because he doesn't know his own strength now. And someone asks, all you super creeps are worse than muties. What is the difference in the Marvel Universe? Come on. <laughs> I'm tired of this, yeah. you know. I mean, we know the difference. One's born that way and one's not. But. Come on, there's no difference, you know. And so, and then like I've always said, so then, then we need to tell Reed, Reed we need to, the government needs to take Franklin away from Reed and Sue, right? Um, and then, you know, uh, we have Robbie's lawyer. Uh, Robbie's in, in jail because he didn't think on Tombstone or whatever. And, and another subplot which really didn't work. Uh, and Nick Katzenberg, this, the slimy photojournalist, is coming on to uh, the lawyer, and she is humongous. And it's like, what's the point of that? I mean, what is the point of, of two 
I mean, and they make her look grotesque. And so there's this scene of cats and them flirting with each other. What's the point? You know, I mean, what are you doing? You make, are you making fun of fat people? Uh, I, I, is that the point, you know, by, by portraying her as so morbidly obese and he's sleazy, you know, and, and what are you really saying there? Uh, so I didn't like that at all. The so robot, this, uh, the robot was called the Tess Monster, and I don't know yes. what. T-E-S-S. The test monster? T-E-S-S. Yes. I don't know what test stands for. but uh, to- Well, I, I actually, if we have Stella, I mean, Stella would tell you that it's Tess of the Dubervilles, right? Um, but, uh, or did she depart? Wow. Oh, and, but, uh, no, test means total elimination of super soldiers. Oh, wow. Nice. I didn't think you'd know that one, Jared. Very good. Uh, Web of Spider-Man. He's a spider Yoda, Brad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I bow before his greatness. Oh, Web- yeah, right. I, I, yeah, I, and I've only won one of the three contests. Kevin beat me this last time. Those so. things are rigged. I know it. <laughs> Web of Spider-Man number 60, uh, The Harder They Fall, written by Jerry Conway. Also, art by Alex Savick. This one has uh, the giant, the Goliath on the front cover. That was, uh, he was in the Thunderbolts. And with the caption that says, so you're the strongest hero in the universe, ha. Huh? And Spider-Man's looking up at his junk like, I just hit the Hulk in this month. You're going to go down, son. Um, another Acts of Vengeance uh, crossover. JR, two cents. Uh, not better than Sp- Spectacular 160. Still not as good as Amazing 328. Um, basically, the Goli- this Goliath is an old villain known as the Smuggler, who some of you might remember from Stern's old run, uh, on Roger Stern's run on Spectacular Spider-Man. Anyway, Doctor Doom has, has has really souped up the uh, the the smuggler, and now he's Goliath. Um, you know, typical t- you know typical fight there. Another subplot running through here is Thomas Fireheart has now bought the Daily Bugle, uh, and he's using it to to pay back this this annoying debt of honor. So he's only printing positive stories about Spider-Man. That subplot to me never really worked. Puma, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah but Jr., you're biased because you hate Puma anyway. That's right. <laughs> I don't like. I I never did like that character. So is this Goliath the same one that was in Thunderbolts, or is it a different one? I don't I remember. No I remember the Smuggler. I've no been a idea. thousand. Who knows? The, the best. The best thing about this issue is is with Peter's new powers. Um, he's. Um, I mean, he's he he comes close to killing the Hulk and Goliath, and he's really worried. Not only about that, but it's should he do something better with his powers than you know just punching out supervillains? Is there a higher calling? And so he goes and asks Aunt May, Aunt May, what would you do if you had the power of life and death? And um, you know, and basically she gives him a good answer. She says, well, you, you know, if you even if you have the power, you shouldn't use it. Because death is a natural part of life, and it, it, it will come to us all. And, and I can't do it justice. But that's what Aunt May is for. That's what Aunt May should be for. I like that. I mean, you know, instead of this senile old broad that uh, all too many writers portray her as. So. Also came out this month was Punisher War Journal number 14 called Blind Faith, written by Carl Potts, art by David Ross, and a great-looking cover by Jim Lee. Did you read this one, J.R.? Now, I didn't get any of the other ones that are on your list. Okay. And uh, also came out this month was uh, Fantastic Four number 336. Spider-Man has a cameo in this one written by Walt Simonson and art by Ron Lim called Dark Congress. Another, if I remember the Fantastic Four Acts of Vengeance one, they just fought really dumb-looking villains. Like this one had the Whirlwind, the Armadillo, the Stilt Man, Okra. Uh, no, Orca. <laughs> no, Orca. <laughs> Okra. <laughs> 
Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey, yeah. Dude, wait, hang on. Uh, the guy, the big guy in the blue and white suit. I I don't know. I don't know what the orca. He's is. a Namor villain, Brad. He's kind of a badass. Okay, well, Man Ape, uh, Hydra Man, <laughs> Wizard, and Doctor Doom. I, I I just thought the FFs were really funny during. And Doctor Doom. Yeah, you stole that in that their last. Yeah, the FF battles. Well, I mean, Doctor Doom. All these other guys: the Gibbon, the Mandrill, the uh, Kangaroo. Only <laughs> Doctor Doom. <laughs> Aye, aye, aye. Anyway, JR, was this a good month? 1990, 21 years? Oh, it, it was, it was better than others. Uh, I mean, it was okay. Uh, I liked, uh, I, I liked the Cosmic Spider-Man issues, uh, while they lasted. I think they could have done a little more with it. Um, but, uh, it, in, in general, I liked the Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, but like I said, Conway, uh, Conway was writing both Web and Spectacular. Uh, and I, he never recaptured what uh, he had when he first did Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Spider-Man after Stan. So it's 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 the 90s. It's 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 kind of a weak period. Right. All right. You know, it's it's kind of timely because Cosmic Spidey just uh, won on Friendly Fire on the message boards. There you go. All right. Let's do recommendations and wrap this show up. Uh, Stella, what do you like this month? Um, I just finished reading The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo by. Steig or Steig uh, Larson, and um, well, the girl that actually has a dragon tattoo, she's a hacker named Elizabeth Salander, and um, she and um, a journalist uh, get together and solve a crime that's over 40 years old, but it was intense, um, and uh, it was suspenseful, and I thought it was rather enjoyable. Nice. Anything else? No, that's it. Okay, Kev, what do you like this month? Um, actually, I didn't think about my recommendations until you just said it. So, uh, I'm gonna say I'm not sure when it's coming back from hiatus, but Stargate Universe uh, has recently been canceled. Sadly, I was gonna say uh, they yeah. they still have half of their second season left to go, and Sci-Fi is gonna run that. Not sure when, uh, but for once, the studio is actually behind them, and the studio is trying to shop the show around to other networks. So the best way to support it is buy the damn DVDs. So if you're at all interested in Stargate Universe, if you like it at all, buy some DVDs or some Blu-rays. Uh, and if you tried it at the beginning and didn't really like it, I'd give it another track. I didn't like it at the beginning at all. I thought it started out pretty badly, but it's turned into a really great show, and it's really sad to see it go, and I hope it can find a new home. Has it just run its course kind of like Star Trek did? It needs like a reboot or something? Uh, no, basically, Sci-Fi had always had success with Friday nights. They had built this uh, Sci-Fi Friday theme, and then they bought Friday Night Smackdown for God knows what reason. <laughs> so that had to take wait, two wait, hours wait, of Friday minute. night. Wait a minute. Wait. Because when I think Sci-Fi, exactly. I, I think wrestling. wrestling is on Sci-Fi now? Yes, oh, sir, yeah, it right. is. Are you kidding um, me? I'm not kidding. And it's called oh. Friday Night Smackdown, so they had to keep it on Fridays. Oh, no. It takes two hours of their slot, so the only thing they left there was Sanctuary, which, surprise, surprise, is now their best-rated show. They moved Caprica and Stargate Universe to Tuesdays, and both of them promptly got canceled. So they, they ran Stargate Universe against Dancing with the Stars. As much as I hate the show, it is the top-rated show in the country, and they were surprised when Universe's ratings dropped. So it's, it's not just run their course. Sci-Fi gave them the shaft. Wow. Okay. Sci-fi does that a lot. Um, yeah. That's yeah, I mean, and, but but a lot, uh, some time ago, I, I read where like wrestling was like sci-fi's third highest-rated. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Yeah. I just don't get it. Why do they call themselves sci-fi? 
Well, they changed their names to SYFY because that doesn't mean the same thing. They're trying to make themselves I, the Imagination Network. And again, when I think, imagination? Of, that, I think of wrestling. You didn't read that press release, Brad, like years ago? No, I did where they changed their they name. Changed which it, I thought and was and they said, yeah, we're, they said we're going to change our name because we really want to own the creative space. And I was like, what the hell kind of moron comes up with that marketing <laughs> concept? We want to own the creative space, so we're going we're gonna to do our name yes. all jackassy. Well, see, what they actually wanted to <sighs> own was their name. <laughs> the word sci-fi wasn't trademarkable, but S-Y-F-Y yeah. is. Yeah. Sheesh. Bunch of Our, crap. Anything else besides Stargate? Uh, that's all like I said. I had forgotten okay. about recommendations altogether until just now. So, Jer, what do you like this month? Well, um, it's something that, um, you know, actually I've, I've been getting over the last few months, but uh, I just watched the last one here recently. I, I guess it's Warner Brothers. I don't know if any other studios are doing it, but Warner Brothers has been releasing like four movies, on, like in these movie franchises, four movies on mm-hmm. two DVDs and selling them together. And honestly, God, this is just absolutely great uh, because I got the first four Batman films for like, you know, thirteen bucks. I got the first four Superman films for ten bucks, and then the the real cream of the crop, the first four Dirty Harry movies oh, yeah. for ten bucks. Oh, that was great. It's too bad they um, couldn't fit the fifth one on Deadpool. Uh, that the was fifth loud. One, the fifth one is uh, is a giant box set that actually comes with like a lot of cool extra shit. I got it for my yeah. stepdad one year. But I I love. I mean, just I mean, for one, even though you know what we all think of. Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, yeah. and then the last two Superman movies. I mean, you can't beat the price. Right. And you know, Spencer had never seen them. Uh, I sure as heck wasn't going to go buy them individually for fifteen and twenty <laughs> bucks a piece. Yeah. Uh, but he was, you know, I know he was curious. He always asked about like Superman three. You know, oh, that's bad, Spencer. You don't oh. watch that stuff. So, you oh. know, but I was able to get it and show him, and he says, "Yeah, Dad, that's pretty bad." Uh, <laughs> it's got taste. And he, uh, and he thought four was pretty bad too. Uh, you know what? Um, I had made a reference to Superman 3 on the message boards earlier uh, this week because I, I likened it to what's happening now with Big Time about how everything's a joke and everything's a parody. I, I likened that to the opening credits of Superman 3. <laughs> I yeah, uh, I don't know if I've ever shared this story about Superman 3 on the show, but I'm going to. It's real quick. Uh, my mom and I in 1983 went to see Superman 3 because I loved the first two. We saw them so many times. And we saw it. We walked out of it. We were like, man, that wasn't the greatest. And we... And I saw a line forming at the box office with people just ticked. And I'm like, Mom, what are they doing? And she said, oh, they're asking for their money back. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, they can do that? And you're like, I guess they're trying. So there was like, uh, it was the only time I've seen people go to the box office. Okay. <clears throat> okay. okay. What? I tried to be quiet. <laughs> you guys step firmly into my plantation. Hey, hey Bailey, Bailey, yeah. if it helps you any, I, just, just because I knew that you were going to be here today and I hadn't talked to you in a while, I'm wearing a Superman box right now. I appreciate that. Um, that's a vivid image I didn't need in my head, but I appreciate it. Um, Superman 3 has many, many problems to it. The one thing that that film does right is... Clark and Lana, and the fight in the junkyard. Yeah, the fight in the junkyard, right? The fight in the junkyard makes up just about every, almost everything Richard Pryor did to that film. And it's not Richard Pryor's fault, because the people that wrote that film wrote that film specifically because they thought Richard Pryor was going to come in and do a bunch of improv work, but this is after the I blew myself up Richard Pryor. <laughs> 
<laughs> so he he stuck to the script. And the only reason he was in that film is they saw him on the Tonight Show where he said, oh, I want to be in a Superman film, blah, 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 blah. And the Salkines, being who they were at the time, said, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Uh, um, four <laughs> is the only Superman film where he changes in a phone booth. Hmm. Wasn't and the phone booth too small in four? No, he steps yeah. right in, steps oh, out. Oh, okay. It's right at the beginning of the film. That film had a lot the, of problems. What about the Maybe. first one? I swear he was in a phone booth. No, he ran by one of those little phone booths. Okay. Like the, yeah. the thing, and then runs into the revolving door. Oh, um, and then the pimp is like, yo, Jim, that's a bad outfit. Say, Jim, whoa. That's, that's yeah. a bad outfit. I like that line. Oh, woo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the budget for four was completely slashed in half right before production began. You can tell. So I, I, I'm not saying that better production values would have saved the film, but it would have helped. Um, <laughs> Man. So that's, hey, I'll, I'll stop now. But. Hey, JR. Yeah. If you've ever wondered what uh, what what that Star Trek Four movie, remember when they originally wanted to combine it with with a uh, Axel Foley movie, of Beverly Hills Cop franchise? Oh yeah, yeah. The, Eddie, Eddie Murphy said he wanted to be in a Star Trek movie, and right. so uh, Nimoy and uh, Harbina had to sit down with him. If you've ever wondered what that would have been like, it would have been like Superman Three. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Oh yeah, and they couldn't make. I mean, they basically. I mean, they came to that conclusion. They tried to work him in the script, and they said this just isn't working. They, and, they made uh, the Golden Child instead. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to finish up just with, uh, what I was saying. But I didn't anyway, mean to these interrupt are, you, Jr. No, 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 no. I didn't uh, interrupt you. That's good. That, that, that's that. I always enjoy uh, listening to uh, your opinion of the Superman movies because, like, you know, I grew up watching the first two. Um, but uh, the, this thing, the four, the four movies, you can't beat it. It's great. And I know the Superman and the Dirty Harry one come with commentaries and, and some extra features, which is awesome because I love commentaries and extra features. But on the Superman one, i got to warn you, the Salkins do the commentary, and it uh, is uh, awful. Awful. I mean, the, the one I have, like a Superman DVD, which has Richard Donner and, and, and Tom Mankiewicz. Yeah, that one, that one was good. Yeah. I listened to it. Yeah, I enjoyed listening to that one. I really enjoyed listening to that one. And, and, I, uh, and I enjoyed those special features, too. That's a great DVD to have, uh, and I'm glad I got it. But, man, the Salkin commentary, it's awful. They don't talk about the movie as much as they should. He goes all over the place. He, he talks about his dad. He talks, jeez, uh, it's just awful. <laughs> Anything else? It. Recommendations, Chair? No, is, like, is it like a crawl space podcast? <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> Show some bacon where it don't shine. Chair, uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, George, what's your recommendations? Tron. Tron Legacy. Oh, my you, God. You liked Tron it? Legacy kicked me square in the nuts. It was like somebody made, made, a, made a robot out of awesome antium. Right, and then that robot came and kicked me in the balls as hard as he could, and said, "How do you like that?" And I and I'm like, "It's awesome." 
Wow. Okay. It is dark, and I think it helps because right now my outlook on life is pretty skewed. You know, I, I'm completely in despair. I've given up anything resembling hope. I'm just sort of resigned to whatever fate life has for me. You know, at this point, I, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to throw myself upon the cosmos and see what the hell happens. It's like a giant roulette wheel right now. I, I'm in some sort of weird Buddhist Zen detachment thing. So it's it's like seeing this thing. I was like, oh my god! It's like somebody crawled inside my heart or what's left of it and made a movie. Wow, and, and it was just amazing. It's beautiful, and and the women can have hair in Tron now, and it's awesome. And <laughs> and um, you know, it, it, it was. I mean, the story was insane. It was. You don't have to see the first one to enjoy this one. It helps if you have a reference yeah. or at least who the hell Tron was. Do you, um, do you and, know that they but, you can't go out and buy the DVD of the original because Disney has let it lapse and they pulled it because they didn't want it to affect the box office? Because they're, they're going to reissue it. No, reissue it in Blu-ray. Well, they they were worried that the special effects were so bad in 1980 that they would it would affect the box office. Oh yeah, they're, they're going to soup it up. Don't, don't get me yeah. wrong, but they're going to Blu-ray it. I don't think they'll I don't think they'll change the story the way that Lucas did with Star Wars, <clears throat> Handshot first. But um, <laughs> no, Handshot yeah, only, sir. Tron Legacy was, I mean, it was beautiful. I mean, it, it 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 gets a little slow in places, but I love the tone and the ambience and and just the general mood of the film, and it was lovely. It, it cool made my heart sing with it with its misery. Anything else? Uh, I'm good. Okay. You know what? If I can jump in there. Um, oh. Speaking of Jeff Bridges movies, that reminds me. I would love to recommend True Grit. That, I want uh, to see that. I haven't seen. I, I saw the original. That new True Grit movie is phenomenal. It's a fantastic film. It's one of the very, very, very few westerns I've ever seen that I would say transcends being a great western to actually being a great film. And it's just really, really well done. Cool. I've had friends of mine who said the same thing about it, and they try to get me to see it. But I'm a real big fan of the John Wayne True Grit, and I I, I don't think – if I had never seen that movie, I think I could probably see this one and enjoy it, and I'm sure Jeff Bridges is cool. But there, I have like a block that won't let me see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, what you have to realize going into it is it's not a remake of the John Wayne movie. It's an adaptation of the book, which know, the John Wayne the movie same, was too. But I hear – I've not read the character. book, but I hear it's this same, one is no. much more faithful to the book. It's this, I've never read the book, but it's the same character. Yeah. So I've got the, I've got this giant block already of somebody coming in and trying to do something John Wayne did, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Jeff Bridges, and I love him. Don't get me wrong, but oh no, that's have they ever remade a John Wayne movie before now? Oh, I'm sure it's been done. Um, I, don't, I don't think of any. I can't think of any. Yeah. I mean, people have played other parts. These played like different people have played uh, Davy Crockett, and different people have played Genghis Khan. But, uh, <laughs> and, 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 yeah, and, and don't let me start. I mean, I'm a huge John Wayne fan. The Conqueror is nothing to write home about. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of other John Wayne movies. Me neither. Mr. Bailey, your recommendations for the month, sir. All righty. I've got three. One is the Spider Man electric toothbrush. <laughs> uh, I cannot recommend this enough. Still Plus, it looks cool in the I'm glad you're finally brushing your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> um,. Eat me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then brush the, uh, My second recommendation is uh, was uh, inspired by JR's, one of JR's picks. I picked up the four-pack of Lethal Weapon from Walmart, yeah. Ooh. and that was a worthwhile purchase because it's all the director's cuts. Mm-hmm. 
So it's not like basic, you know, crappy, full screen, throw it out there. Uh, they have the director's cut to one, two, and three, and then they have four, and it's got commentaries, and it's everything, and I love the Lethal Weapon films. Uh, maybe not so much three, but... Um, so I will recommend that, and I will recommend Spider-Man Back Issues. I have kind of adopted the X-Men and Spider-Man this year to read through the runs I have of those characters uh, and, and teams and such, and I have started with the, um, thanks to the Spider-Man Birth of Venom trade, I started right at the Black Suit era as my starting point. Like 252? Uh, yeah, and I've managed to actually it cheaply put together a single-issue collection that, that uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of proud of at this point. I'm nice. Basically... When the, the eBay purchases come in this week, I will be two issues away from having from 257 to 400 solid wow. of ASM. Good. So at cheap too, because those McFarlane issues are getting expensive. Um, What's the most you, you paid for the McFar- uh, McFarlane issue so far? Uh, the most I paid was 300. I paid 25 for that, but yeah. that was a couple years ago. But I managed to find 298, 299, which are now getting to be like $60 books Ooh. for like. Twelve really? bucks a piece too. Yeah, because wow. they're the first McFarlane issues. <clears throat> yeah. So, but uh, I'm enjoying the hell out of Defalco um, era Amazing Spider-Man with Ron Friends doing the art. It's awesome. It, oh yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's it's amazing and uh, spectacular Spider-Man, which because I'm reading all the titles. Uh, so far has been kind of dodgy, but it's not nothing against Alan Milgram. I think he's just doing what he can with what he had. Uh, that hermit story was just man. What was weird. that? Is that like ninety something? Ninety seven. Yeah. There. Man. So uh, yeah, seriously. Uh, just just to kind of get more familiar with the character, especially since I'm on the show. I guess I should. I feel like I should. No, no, but I the. But I'm starting with 167 for X-Men right after they got back from the Brood. Mm, yeah. Uh, and yeah. New Mutants. And that stuff has been nothing but awesome either. The Brood so, storyline always seemed like such a takeoff of the Alien movies. It was. It was. It was, yeah. it was totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like the Hellfire Club <clears throat> was ripped off from the Hellfire Club from the Avengers TV show. And the Star Jammers was a mix mm. of Star Trek and Star Wars. Yeah. Chris Claremont... Of all the big things people can uh, attribute to him on the X-Men, he ripped them up from somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, but you know what, the, why the Brood were so fun is because the Brood the brood weren't just – I'll defend Claremont on this point because he didn't just do, you know, cookie-cutter adaptations. I mean, he No, I'm, I'm not saying he did. I'm just – I find that amusing. I mean, the brood, the brood had motive. They weren't just some sort of quasi-humanoid animal creature. Yeah. You know? But, oh, God, those X-Men brood stories were crazy fun. Yeah. And it always disturbed me that they were floating around in space whales. What the hell? What, what is that? <laughs> but, and then you can look at Farscape and say, well, Farscape ripped off the X-Men. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Anything else, sir? That's it. All right. I've got uh, a product and two comics and a movie. <laughs> Uh, the first one I alluded earlier in the show about uh, my new iPhone 4 cover. I got it from Coveroo, not to be confused with Underoos. Uh, Coveroo, C-O-V-E-R-O-O.com. And you can get uh, several images of your favorite uh, Marvel character. I happen to got got a Spider-Man one. 
people will dig on dog on his artwork, but I think it looks really cool. It's the image of Spider-Man uh, shooting a web right at the camera. It's written, uh, penciled by Greg Land, and it was on that amazing Spider-Man special extra issue or something like that. Also, you can put your uh, words or a saying on it. I put my name on the back of my cover, and I got a red cover, so it's really cool. So check out coveroo.com. I think the the uh, it was like a $25 cover, so it was pretty reasonable. Uh, the two comics I've been digging through my back issue stack that I've been needing to read, uh, X-Factor. I read like a year's worth of X-Factor <laughs> recently oh, wow. and caught up on it, and Peter David still knocks it out of the park. I don't know why I haven't been putting this book on my top ten to read when I first get my box in. Uh, Long Shot Goes to Vegas. Enough said. Love it. Love love Peter David's stuff. Kevin, I know you dropped it, but uh, you should pick it back up. I actually just did. You did? Um, <laughs> yeah, when I went to get that Amazing Spider-Man issue, they also picked up X-Factor number 212, which is the only one I was missing, and it's mm-hmm. it's back on my pull list. I finally realized I need to stop trying to drop that book because I can't. No, it's uh, awesome. But, yeah, it's fantastic, and I'm I'm about a year behind on it myself. And like you, I don't know why that happens to me. It seems like over and over, but whenever I read it, I'm like, this is the best book I'm reading. Yeah, it's <laughs> freaking Peter David, just awesome stuff. Uh, a book I was surprised that I liked, I, I read like four issues in a row of Avengers Prime. Basically, uh, Iron Man, Cap, and Thor equal the Prime Avengers. They go back in time and to Asgard, etc., and just hilarious. Tony Stark is running around naked because his damn suit doesn't work in primeval times. <laughs> he can't find a power source. Uh, and he also, just the three guys sitting around a camp, the dialogue I think is hilarious. They're sitting around the campfire. Tony Stark, you know, they're, they're bored. Tony says, hey, Cap, you ever bang Hellcat? <laughs> I always wondered about Seriously? that. Seriously? Yeah. And, and he goes, no. And then Thor goes, ah, uh, verily I did. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, that's funny. <laughs> Dude, he took him back to medieval times and he still managed to get the Avengers around a damn dinner table. No, it was a campfire. They were, they were <laughs> Same around thing. A, it was funny. It's a medieval so, dinner table. I just freaking... That, that I, I, makes I, me sad. No, it's <laughs> funny, dude. It was just the way he said it. I was. It was typical Tony Stark. I thought that was I'll awesome. I'll take your word for it. But I read one issue of that, and it was too much for me. The artwork is uh, beautiful, too, by Alan Davis. Love his stuff. Always loved his stuff. Uh, thought it was good. Uh, Are you offended by the bang in the Hellcat? <laughs> Uh, Why would he ask just, Captain America if he had banged Hellcat? Well, he he put it better than I did. He was like, "Did you ever mess around with Hellcat?" And he there, says, "There was a there was a time when people wrote these characters where the characters actually respected one another." Dude, if you're and, George, if you no, and Kevin no, and Jr. and I are sitting around a ta- uh, campfire, you're like, "Yeah, you you ever bang blah blah blah." I yeah, think that's Brad, funny. You know, that's because we're not, you know, superheroes who are actually sort of like on a different level. It's just, and, you aren't, it's, it's, and you it's aren't a, a World War II hero, by the way. Yeah, no it's, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I like it. Cool. I like it. That's <laughs> all. Shut up, Bacon. Uh, <laughs> wow. Bacon A's. I, I saw a movie last night that uh, I thought I didn't expect much of, but I thought it was actually pretty good. Uh, it was called Whiteout. It has uh, Kate Beckinsale in it. Uh, she's a, a marshal in Antarctica, and there's a murder. And I watched the whole thing, and I saw the credits, and it was written by Greg Rucka. And did you know that? I did not. And and I was like, oh, wow, this is based on, evidently was a comic book. 
Uh, yes. By Oni Press or something? By Oni Press. Oni. Yes. Oni. There was yeah. two of them. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, it's a pretty good movie. It's got uh, Tom Skerritt from Alien, Picket Fences. And um, Kate Beckinsale's looking pretty good. There's an opening scene. I just sent my boys an image in the chat window. Feel free to click on. <laughs> also, go to Google Images. Type in Kate Beckinsale Whiteout. You will thank me later as you eat your bacon. Oh, I don't. I don't even have to click on it. I, it's Kate Beckinsale. I know Kate Beckinsale. <laughs> I don't need visual proof. Of that. I don't need, well, I don't need you confirmation don't, on if that. If you don't want to look at it, it's fine. It's, do what you do. Eat your bacon. I'll look at it later in the privacy of my own <laughs> apartment when I'm not on a podcast. <laughs> so that thank is my you. recommendations. Two comics, one George Hates. Uh, phone cover and a movie. Oh, you know what? I, I, uh, I wanna, I wanna say something real quick about something that somebody recommended on the boards that I actually looked at and wound up really liking. Um, there's a HBO miniseries coming up soon called Game of Thrones. It's based on a a George R.R. Martin series of novels that it's like a fantasy medieval kind of setting. Yeah. Um, and people on our message boards couldn't – I was going to watch this anyway just because, I mean, you know, I'm into fantasy and shit, and it's – you know, HBO does pretty good series work. Yep. So, um, so you know, I had my honest thing anyway, but people on the boards can't – on the crawl space boards cannot shut up about how awesome the books are. So I actually started reading that first book that the series is based on, and it is fantastic. It is gripping. It is a gripping page-turner. Nice. So there's there's another recommendation for me of a book that's already been out for I think like twelve years or something. <laughs> and that's a wrap for this episode. We have one more I'll edit before the end of the month where we answer your message board questions. But before we go, I want to thank our sponsor, MailOrderComics.com. They're accepting January orders, and you'll want to put Ultimate Spider-Man number one fifty-six on your pull list. Mark Bagley has returned to the title. He and Mister Bendis are continuing to tell the Death of Spider-Man storyline. The description of this one has some pretty big statements with it. It reads, quote, The most shocking Spider-Man story you'll ever read. Young Peter Parker has led a heroic life and tried to live by the simple and powerful philosophy that with great power comes great responsibility. But will that philosophy be enough to save him from the horror that awaits him? This is easily the most important story in Ultimate Spider-Man history, and maybe the most important story in the Ultimate Universe. Unquote. Man, sounds like if you don't pick this one up, you're just screwed. (laughs) The cover price, $3.99. Mail order has it for just $2.47, which is 38% off the cover price. So check them out at mailordercomics.com. Thanks so much for listening, gang, for the Spider-Man Crawlspace.com. I'm your host and webmaster, Brad Douglas.